Welcome to Read My Lips Radio, a lively hour of unscripted conversations with savvy creatives. Producer and host, a.k.a. Radio Red, asks novelists, artists, photographers, designers, comedians, actors, musicians, composers, screenwriters, directors, and technology innovators about their creative passion, inspirational muses, and how they create. Ooh, how those lips can talk. Now, here's AKA Radio Red. Radio Red in the house. Thank you to the voice of Ryan Treasure. We're happy to be here. I still hear a little bit of that mixer noise. I'm talking to Jordan, my engineer. It's coming from somewhere, but I think we can get through it. This is Read My Lips. We have a new logo behind me. I'm in a moonscape with a red microphone. There we go. It's quiet now. And red lipstick and my own scarlet mic. And we have Read My Lips and we're using an actual red lips for the word instead. After all these years, I finally got with the program. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's January 29th. Happy to be here. And you know what? This is my happy place on Monday because I get to talk to really cool, fun, creative people. And we don't put everybody together because they're the same type of creative, but today's a little different because at the last National Publicity Summit, I met a super publicist named Denise Dorman. And she said, have I got three writers for you, Radio Red. And I said, bring them on. And here we are. So let me read my little, oh, oh, I have a little, a little assignment for the three of you. I didn't even, didn't prep you. So let's see if you can do this. Jerry, Jill, and John, the three J's. I want you to make a sign of the letter L with your hands right now for, come on, Jerry, you can do it. Make the law. Okay. On the count of three, you're going to join me in saying hello, L, L, L. Here we go. One, two, three. Hello, L, 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 L. Wow. Jordan, write that down. Fifth Monday of the year. I think they were the best. They caught up pretty well at the end. That's lovely, lanky Laura Legs, our most loyal listener. She's in Whitestone, New York. I've been trying to convince her, Jill, to move to a place that starts with L and London was a little expensive. So, But I'm in Loudoun, Tennessee, and she might move here. So (laughs) just for the heck of it. So she listens, and I will hear from her at 6 p.m., 6.01 p.m. to be exact, with a little report on what Jill Sanders said. See, I'm introducing my guest at what John W. Maley said and what Jerry Bingham said. How about that? There you go. So let me read a little poem I co-wrote with ChatGPT. And uh, John, I want you to pay attention to this because we were talking about this before we started. Co-wrote is important because it's an LLL, large language model, and it's AI. I still, John, am a human. I've been certified. Don't even go there with what I just said, but I'm still certified human. So it's a combination. It's a combo. So here we go. Welcome. Oh, and when I call your name, wave, wave. Okay. You have to wave hello because we're live streaming now. Let me get my LinkedIn to go live here. Here we are. Okay. So here we go. Welcome audience, dear, to read my lips talk. We're authentic and real. Yes, we walk the walk. Here are creative tales unfold led by Radio Red Spirit and Scarlet Mike So Bold. Here we go. Jerry Bingham, wave hello, a maestro of the arts. From comics to novels, he conquers all the parts. A Jack Kirby Award and Emmys in tow. His creativity continues to grow. I hope you like that, Jerry Bingham. What do you think? Thank you. You're welcome. Jill Sanders, wave hello, a romance virtuoso. Her novels enchant in emotions they flow. From the Pacific Northwest to Florida's embrace, her tales of love leave a so, so sweet trace. Jill, you like that? Love it. Ah, and John W. Maley, a mind so keen, degrees in law, tech, and writing in between. In the world of tomorrow where justice weaves his speculative thriller, a saga with clues he leaves. John, what'd you think? 
That's better than my website. I like it. <laughs> I'll, I'll loan it to you. Publicist Denise Dorman sent them our way, and we thank her today. So here's the closing. Watch or listen. It's your choice. Join AK Radio Red. That's me. And hear her voice on the romance of creativity in Honor View Jill. Our episode new. We hope to inspire and share a smile with you. So what'd you all think? Do you like I it? Very mm-hmm. nice. Thank you. Thank you. So I, I take a little bit of your bios and I feed them in. I'm doing this for John. Feed it in the chat GPT and I say, write me a poem for the opening monologue on, on uh, read my lips for AK Radio Red. And then I say, just give me a brief summary of each of my guests. And it gives me back a poem within a one and a two. By the time three seconds are up, I've got my poem. And then I go through and I work on it. And I say, I don't like that rhyme. I don't like this. I might say, could you redo this one about Jerry? I didn't like this. Okay. And then I work on them. And this is what we got. So I'm very glad you enjoyed it. So here we are. It is January 29th. What? The first month of the year is almost gone. It's the 9th. 29th day of 2024 in the Gregorian calendar. You know, I hope you all know there was a Julian calendar and Gregory, he might, before he was Pope, he said, I don't like where they put the extra those leap days. I'm going to change it and I'm just going to make it the Gregorian calendar. And it stuck. Mm -hmm. So I call him one of the early creatives. It took a lot of nerve to do that. 337 days left. It's the fifth Monday. What can I tell you? Is anybody here in Aquarius? Anybody? You are. Okay. Well, if we have, oh, two. Wonderful. If we have time, I will do a little bit of a quiz on who wants to be an honorary Aquarian. And that would be, let's see if Jerry wants to play that game. But right now I'd like to go into the bios and find out who you all are. I know my audience around the world is saying, who are these interesting people? She didn't tell us much. So I'm sorry to do the voices. Uh, Jerry Bingham, I'm putting you on speaker view. Would you please do me the honor of introducing yourself? What do you write? What is this big book behind you? And by the way, that's not a virtual background. That's where he lives. It's beautiful. Okay, Jerry, putting you on speaker view. Talk to us. Three minutes. Intro, please. Okay. I'm supposed to uh, tell everybody who I am. Everybody knows me. So why should I even? Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, I started my creative journey, I think, at 10 years old when I discovered comic books. And uh, that was the focus of my life for most of my beginning into my early adulthood. And from there, um, I actually got work drawing comics professionally for about 20 years. And then I got tired of that and I moved out to Hollywood where I worked out there as an illustrator and uh, for about another 20 years or so. And I I have a low threshold of boredom. So I'm always looking for something else in my life. And from there, I I left Hollywood and I went to do uh, my gallery artwork almost exclusively for a number of years, the Western art, Western and historical art. And, uh, after I moved away from the West and I came East here, I decided I've been writing all my life. So I decided now's the time when I was, I'm just going to give up my old life and sit down to, to write for myself and uh, start out with a couple short stories and the, didn't get them picked up right away by anybody. So I said, okay, I'm going to take all these short stories and turn them into a, a novel in stories, which is a new term I, I learned where the short stories connect and so, well, the shorts, there's six short stories, uh, three novelettes and two novellas in this book. And the last story in the book reflects back on the first story. So there's a whole arc there. And so that was, uh, that was, that was quite a bit, it was past three years of my life. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's been interesting and, and I've, you know, I've got a lot of 
very nice compliments on it. And I'm just thrilled about it. And, and I'm launching into my second book in the series right now. So how exciting are you? I'm going to ask a question and, and I'll probably ask it to John and Jill as well. Are you a pantser or a plotter, Jerry Bingham? Well, I, like I said, I've been writing most of my life and it's always been as a pantser, but um, and the short stories, I can be a pantser. And that's kind of why I headed in that direction. But as I'm starting this next, the, the subsequent book, the novel, I'm finding that because it's so involved in the mysteries and um, personalities and there's psychological conflict and all this, all this stuff is in there. And I figured I got to know where I'm going before I get there. And so I okay. spent uh, several months plotting this thing. Now, not strictly plotting because the plot's going to change over time as I write the characters and story progresses. But I had to have a framework to go by. Thank and, you. Uh, One more question. Difference in length approximately between a short story and a novella, because I'm writing a novella and I'm up to between 16 and 25,000 words so far, two versions of the book. What's the difference between a short story and a novella, Jerry? Okay. Short story, I think, is up to 1,700 words or thereabouts. Oh, I'm sorry. Wait a minute. I'm thinking 17,000 words. And then it goes to novelette. Novella is anything over 40,000, I believe. Okay, so I'm probably going to be with Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Didn't mean to quiz you, but while I had you there, why not? Let's well, move. I had to jog my memory. Okay, that's fine. Jill Sanders, I read one of your books, I told you, and I just breezed through it and I said, how did she do this? It's not that long. I did read it in about two hours. I loved every minute of it. Your character development was so delicious. The plot and the, the thrills along the way and the twists and turns. Jill, I'm a fan. Jill Sanders, please tell everybody who you are and welcome. Well, uh, as you said, I'm Jill Sanders. I am currently writing my 99th book. So I think I've been, I think I'm in the right industry. <laughs> can you can you just wait? Don't say another word. Everybody go. <gasps> Come on, John and Jerry go. <gasps> 99. <gasps> okay. All right. Go ahead, Jill. Had to, had to wait um, for that moment. <laughs> I hail from Washington State. Uh, when I was a senior in high school, we moved back to Colorado where my parents were originally from. I am a twin, identical. So um, my twin is the left-handed. We're identical mirror image. So she's the artist. Like all those art things that you were showing me, that's totally her. And I got the writing part of it. So um, I met and married my husband in Colorado. We lived there for about 20 years and then moved to Texas. And in the process of living in Colorado, we um, I, I was in IT for years. I worked at IBM. Uh, about I was about the only woman. There were two or three of us and a group of like 20, 25 men. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, that back in the day. And yeah. Um, yeah. So got out of that really quick. Uh, we owned a skate and snowboard shop. My husband made snowboards and skateboards. And so we also sold them. And while I was sitting there bored, out of my mind, waiting for people to come in, I would read. I would just inhale books. And so one day our little library had an ice, we had an ice storm and the library flooded and it was shut down. So I couldn't get my addiction. I was like, oh, so I decided to write. And I sat down and wrote my first book, Finding Pride, while sitting in my skate shop and um, sat on it for several years. And then we moved to Texas mm -hmm. and I decided my twin called me up and we were talking and she said, you know, you need to publish this. And the rest is history. It just kind of 
snowballed out of that <laughs> 12 years later. It, so how long does it take you? If you have 99 books, how long does it take you on average? Is there such well, a thing? I know John's saying, what? Go ahead. <laughs> so I do have everything from novellas, which are about 20,000 words. Okay. To my series books are anywhere from forty to eighty thousand words, and then I have six full length books that that are a hundred thousand words. So it depends. A novella I can pop out, you know, <laughs> anytime. Um, it takes me. I write about fifty a fifty thousand word book in about a month, but that has slowed down a little bit lately. So <laughs> um, yeah, so I've, about a month I pop out a book. Do you sleep? I do. <laughs> Actually, I've taken a little mini vacay recently. I had surgery on the 12th. So I'm I'm really, I'm on vacay. Actually, my 100th book was supposed to come out in April and I've pushed it back to July. This is the first time I've ever had to push a book release back. So. <laughs> well, congratulations. 99 is quite an achievement. I've never met an author of that many books. And are you self-published or do you have a, a, a big publisher? Who do you do? I'm hybrid. I'm hybrid. Um, the first couple books, yeah, I, I'm more hybrid than, I'm more self-published um, indie than I have uh, about, I think it's eight through Montlake Publishing. So thank you very much. And what do you have for breakfast, Jill, that drives you? What what fuels you, I should say? What what, what Oatmeal. <laughs> What do you put on it? It's the goodies on it that make the difference. Oh, Come on. Oh, I'll tea. Uh, I will say this. So if you take oatmeal and you add a scoop of hot chocolate and a scoop of a uh, spoonful of peanut butter, it tastes just like no bake oatmeal cookies. Wow. And and hot that's a regular cocoa mix with sugar in it, or is yeah, it just a scoop of hot chocolate and a spoonful of peanut butter, and they are and, just and like the hot my chocolate. mom's. Hot chocolate powder, not not hot chocolate, hot chocolate powder. Okay, thank you. I just bought. I found on Amazon. J Jerry might remember these. I don't think John and Jill are old enough. The original. Thank you very much. Well, honey, we talked before the show. We're we're both over fifty. Okay, let's just. Yeah, look. You're welcome, Jerry. I'll keep uh -huh. the secret safe. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> I'm over I, fifty. No, you're not. Stop, stop lying about your age. <laughs> I just bought the original Carnation malted milk. I bought a container of vanilla and chocolate. When I make my little banana shake in the morning with 1% milk, maybe a little bit of ice cream, half a mm. banana, a couple of ice cubes, I put in a scoop or two, two couple of tablespoons of either the vanilla or chocolate malted milk. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's like going back in time and going forward in time. Anyway, thank you very much, still for the memories. John W. Mailey, you thought I'd never get to you. He looks scared. John, I'll be very nice. John, I'm putting you on speaker view. Would you please introduce yourself and welcome? Yes. My name is John Mailey. Um, my novel took like eight or 10 years. So I would need to live to about the year 2900 AD to come up with uh, as many novels as Jill, which is actually farther in the future than my novel takes place. So I would be able to judge it and see if I got it right. Um, I was interested in writing from a young age, but I didn't ever really pursue it seriously. Uh, I was a computer engineer after college. Uh, and then I went to law school and was reading a law journal article from 1954 that was talking about how you can express laws as mathematical equations. And I started to realize pretty quickly that technology and law would come together uh, sooner or later for better or worse. So uh, that was just sort of filed away in my mind. And then um, much later after I finished law school, uh, I wrote a short story in a class I took, and that ended up uh, being a finalist in a nationwide contest. 
So wait a minute. Let's clap. Let's clap. Everybody go to full view here. Everybody clap for him. Clap, 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 clap. Okay. You can go on, John. Continue. So I took that and I used it as my writing sample for uh, applying to Stanford University's uh, online novel writing program and got into that. And that is where most of my novel was written and workshopped and forged. Um, and the premise of it is that it's in the 23rd, 23rd century and justice is an airtight thing and human error has been removed and AI has replaced uh, judges and juries. And somehow a lovable teenage kleptomaniac gets wrongfully convicted of mass murder. And so he and his attorney have to figure out why. So it's a speculative legal thriller, sort of a, a future where technology and justice are far too intertwined, like I was saying. Um, and it explores not just, you know, futuristic scenarios, but also patterns in systems of law that have gone back through human history. So it's got a little bit of an anthropology component, and it's sort of a cross between maybe fast-paced sci-fi and like something like a John Grisham thriller. Um, and the real motivation to write it was just that, um, you know, the future is always closer than we think. So we shouldn't wait to think about the future, um, particularly when it comes to AI. Uh, if we wait till the genie is already out of the bottle uh, to worry about that sort of stuff, we'll have a lot less control over how it comes out and uh, versus if we do sort of a careful and thoughtful controlled release of it. I like the way you put that, by the way. What did you do in tech early? What did you do? Were you coding? Were you what were you doing? Uh, I was worked as a software engineer for a while, and then I worked on a microprocessor design team. Okay, and Jill, you were in tech also. What did you do? I was a stand analyst um, when Disney started doing Pixar. When they bought out Pixar, um, IBM was hosting their servers, and I was the main tech adding storage for Disney back in the day. <laughs> And I will tell you that I am an early woman in tech, and I was invited to be the kickoff speaker for Women in Big Data on International Women's Day, March 8th, 2022. And I wowed them because I was a programmer analyst when we did both coding in COBOL on a Xerox Sigma 6 CP5 mainframe, key punching. I key punched thousands of cards for my code, and okay. I could do 2,000 lines, write it on paper, key punch it on Monday, and have it running by 1 o'clock on Monday afternoon. I ate, slept, drank, and breathed COBOL, and I loved it. And then I got another job. Jill's appreciating this. Uh, I went to an IBM 4341, and we actually had a terminal where we could put in our code. We didn't have to key punch and carry around that awful box. And then I was coding in, in a, a kind of obscure language called PL1. And I was programming for the secondary schools in the whole state of Oregon. I was living in Eugene. And I had the task, and I could have used Jerry's skills in drawing at that point. I had the task of, imp of improvising, or shall we say, redesigning the permanent transcript form, which was something like on a piece of legal paper or maybe 8 and by 11, for kids who were in their junior year and putting in a little box where the guidance counselor could say, well, John has completed all of his math credits for graduation next year, but he's a little short on English. So we're not sure if we're going to hold him back from graduation. John, you better double up on your English credits in your senior year if you want to walk down the aisle. So I had to fit into this form that had been there for years, how to get this little box with the coding to put the graduation readiness credits in for each student. 
So I took the form, and I, literally a ruler, Jill, Jill knows, a ruler and a piece of paper and saying, how can I get an inch and a half square by two inches out of this form and redesign the form itself in the computer, in the program and get the code to go in to use these credits and pull those from the system. I did it. There you go. So wow. it was a lot of fun back in the days. I thought it was just a blast. So thank you all for the introductions. I am so happy to have you all here. And now we're going to go to the part of the show where you've each sent me a fictional quote from, well, we have one from a cartoon and we have some from movies. And I will read the quote with a little tiny bit of trivia. I love to look these up, as you may know from, well, I didn't show you the notes, but I've got them here. And then I'm going to ask you to explain, unpack, what does this have to do with your own creativity? Make something up. I don't know. Jerry Bingham has sent a quote from Bugs Bunny. I think it's my first time on all my shows I've got a cartoon voiced by Mel Blanc, the wonderful Fictional character created in the late 1930s, no, we were not here then, at Warner Brothers Cartoons, originally called Leon Schlesinger Productions. If anybody alive has not heard of Bugs Bunny, before I read the quote, Bugs Bunny mm. is an anthropomorphic gray and white rabbit or hare, H-A-R-E, characterized by his flippant, insouciant, that's a French word, personality. He's known for his featured role in the Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies series of animated short films produced by Warner and blah, blah, blah. He's also characterized by a Brooklyn accent. His portrayal as a trickster and his catchphrase, eh, what's up, Doc? Throughout his, how'd I do, Jerry? Was that good? No. It was good enough. It was good enough. Oh, <laughs> throughout his popularity during the golden, all right, att attack the host. During his popularity during the golden age of American animation, Bugs became an American cultural icon and Warner Brothers official mascot, and he starred in more than 160 short films produced between 1940 and 64. So here is the quote Jerry has picked from all of the quotes he could have picked from Bugs Bunny. Don't take life too seriously. You'll never get out of it alive. Okay, Jerry, is this good news or bad news? What does this have to do with your 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 creation? Well, I saw you roll. I saw you roll your eyes when you mentioned it was a, from a cartoon. But that's okay. We'll get past that. I I grew up with Bugs Bunny. This you know this is uh, and so his his name, the Warner Brothers cartoon characters. You know, I, I flash back on them every once in a while. So you wanted a semi humorous quote, and so Bugs Bunny leapt to mind with that one. I love it. I love it. I'm it's thrilled. Become it's become famous over the years. People have used it elsewhere, but you know, I yeah. I so how does it relate to your creativity? What does it have to do with you? Well, it has to do with my personality. Um, I at times we all get in the mode of we take ourselves too seriously, and so I have to keep. I have to rein that in. You know, as I sometimes I'm too into myself and too into my work and this and focused directly on a project or whatever. And then I generally have to pull my back myself back and say, Jerry, you're just you, lighten up. You're taking this too seriously. And then, you know, you, you've only got so many hours left on the planet. Let's uh, have a little fun with it. Like that, I like that, Jerry. I was thrilled that you picked. I don't usually put cartoons. I put movie or TV, but that was TV. So what's the difference? But it's a fictional character. Thank you so much. So I really appreciated the quote. I, I wasn't upset with that. Okay, let's go no, to no. Jill Sanders. Jill has picked a quote from very iconic one, two, three, four, five, 
six, seven, eight words, an eight-word short one. Uh, Rhett Butler, played by the amazing Clark Gable, handsome and dashing. His last words to Scarlett O'Hara, she spells Scarlett with two T's, just like my microphone, played by Vivian Lee. Gone with the wind, of course. 90, oh, John likes us already. 1939 American epic historical romance film. Uh, Rhett responds to Charlotte's tearful question, where shall I go? What shall I do? In the hope she can win him back after more than a decade of seeking her life he no longer cares. And here's the line. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Okay, Jill, what are you going to do with this one? Go ahead. When I first put up my book, um, and every day since, you get, as an author, you get those negative reviews. You get those trolls that want to just poke at you. Um, I read every review, and I've got thousands, if not hundreds of thousands in different languages and different formats. And I tried to read through all of them. And the ones that keep me up at night, I have to tell myself, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. It's Just keep rude. writing. What do you do with the ones, Jill? What do you do with the ones in different languages? Do you do, do you get them on Facebook or LinkedIn or do you just hit translate or what do you do? With, do you uh, I have my translator or I just translate and it's kind of fun to read them with Google Translate because they don't come across really well, which makes them funnier. <laughs> Would you be willing to tell us one of the worst reviews you ever got? Mm, Would yeah. you? Okay. It was one of my first reviews and it basically told me to go back to kindergarten. What? To go back to kindergarten. That oh, I, I should you. go back to school. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, that uh, you know, a kindergartner could do better than me. <laughs> and, and key question. Everybody wants to know. Jerry wants to know. John wants to know. And audience wants to know. Did you respond? Oh, hell no. Oh, sorry. Okay. No. <laughs> it's okay. We've heard the word. It's okay. No, no. The funnest ones, though, really, out of my line of work, writing romance books, are the ones that say, do not read this. There's too much sex. Oh, dear. I love those. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, I will tell you that when I was doing stand-up comedy, I got a gig at a Borders bookstore on Long Island, New York with my troupe. And... I, I was suffering from pneumonia. I didn't know it at the time. And I was in the bathroom hacking my lungs out. And um, we packed the place so much that they did no business in the cafe. And they were furious with us because nobody wanted to buy coffee and cake. They just want to sit and watch this free comedy mm -hmm. show. Well, one of my comedians used the word virgin. Mm -hmm. I got a letter from the manager mm -hmm. of Borders that we were banned because a woman had been in the store buying books for her children and her nine-year-old son was her, with her. And she had stopped into the cafe to hear what was going on. And she mm. was morbidly upset and furious with the management for having this horrible word. I, I guess they weren't Catholic. Red, you terrible hussy. <laughs> I know. And she called the other boarders managers around Long Island mm -hmm. to tell them not to hire my troop. I kid you not. And well, this is good. Oh, this is a fun story. When I first put it up about the first five of my books, somehow back in the day, Amazon's algorithm would pull from the first couple chapters. They'd pull keywords like wedding or beach or something like that. Well, I happened to have a funeral, which meant there was a preach, a preacher, a church, a ceremony. 
um, those kind of things. So it put my first book, it was number one, I'm not kidding, for about five years under Christian romance. <laughs> I got so many bad reviews. They're still up there. <laughs> so much so many bad reviews, right? <laughs> So yes. much for algorithms, Jill. Yes. Right, right, John. <laughs> I am so. I'm surprised. I'm still. I'm surprised after that, my career took off. <laughs> well, well, plus the, possibly the controversy, you know, it fueled book sales, right? No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They say there's no no news like bad news. There's no such thing as, as a bad whatever bad review. Yes. Uh, I did. We did get to go to another border, farther around on Long Island, but she made us give her the script of what everybody's comedy routine. <laughs> in advance and promise no dirty words this time it oh, was a no. riot so let's go on i want to go to the quote from john maley john has sent a quote from seven of nine played by jerry ryan star trek voyager sci-fi tv series 1995 to 2001 let me see your seven of nine uh born annika hansen is a fictional character introduced in the series she's a former borg drone who joins the crew of the federation Char starship voyager her full Borg description designation was 709 Tertiary Adjunct of Unimatrix 01. That's a heck of a name for a business card, John. While her birth name became known to her crewmates after joining the Verge, Ver, Voyager crew, she chose to continue to be 7 of 9, though she allowed 7 to be used informally. And she was introduced in the fourth season premiere, Scorpion Part 2. Here's the quote. In, in air quotes, impossible is a word humans use Far too often. Okay, John, what does this guy do with you? Well, so she's a, a cybernetic character. So she's part human, but more machine than human. And it just gets to the fact that I think as humans in general, um, we're sort of our own worst enemies at limiting ourselves and shooting down our own ideas and, you know, coming up with an idea for a product or an invention and saying, oh, you know, if that was such a good idea, someone would have already done it or, um, you know, that's, there's probably problems with that I haven't thought of. And I think that phenomenon gets worse. Um, you know, I think one of the differences between when I was a kid and now is that genres like science fiction uh, have become much more dystopian and much more pessimistic about where humanity is going to end up. And that was definitely not true, you know, like 50 years ago. So I think that is another trend that's just sort of encouraging people to kind of shoot down their own ideas and not really shoot for the stars anymore from anything from, you know, how tall can we build a building to, uh, you know, can we make a car run off of water? And are we ever going to get back to the Jetsons and have flying cars and flying? I hope so. I was promised flying cars growing up and I still expect them. <laughs> see, see, see what fiction does to us. There you go. Especially our beloved cartoons. Jerry, when you were doing cartoons, can you just tell us briefly some of the types of characters you were doing or comics? What were you doing? Oh, comic books? Yeah. Um, my first uh, professional comic book character that was kind of a regular was Black Panther. That was uh, for Marvel Comics. And I I bounced from one book to the next. And I, Iron Man and um, Spider-Man. I did a lot of Spider-Man. And I went to DC Comics and I did a lot of Batman stuff. And uh, just I bounced all over the place for over 20 years, almost 30 years. So, so you're part of legends of comics that were were brand. Well, I didn't create. I didn't create these characters. I know that. I, but okay. So, but legend, legendary, and, and you know, big Smith, big fish in a small pond kind of thing. You you brought them to life. Very very interesting. Thank you very much. I I want to tell you, Jerry. I've been trying to not tell you for the past 34 minutes. <laughs> 
You look so much like Robert De Niro. Oh God, I've heard that. I heard that from people in person, and and I think to myself, okay, thanks. <laughs> well, come on, iconic. He's good looking. So are you. You know that that verb that that person persona. I feel like I've got Robert De Niro's doppelganger. I've got a Chicago <laughs> accent rather than a, a New York accent. So oh, we'll forgive you, dear. Okay, now <laughs> I'm going around the table. I'm going to pick one creativity statement from each of you. You each sent me four, and I'm going to pick one. I will read it. You don't have to find it. Take a couple of minutes. Tell me more about what it is. Jerry, your first one is long. I'm just going to read part of it. So you say creativity, dot, 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 there's the ellipsis, is a beautiful beast that requires care and feeding. Care because it's an easy compulsion that can take over your life, addictive in its endorphin-like ability to give joy when accomplished well. I'm going to not read the feeding part. I'll let you add that. And if Jill or John have anything to say, just wiggle a nice finger at me and we'll get you in. Go ahead, Jerry. What does this mean to you? It's it's lovely, by the way. Oh, thank you. Well, it's um, it's one of those things I, I really never thought much about the word creativity until I was, until it was later in life. And looking back on my life, um, as a creative person, and I consider myself a creative person, uh, Without, you know, I'm not patting myself on the back for it, but uh, it's just something that at an early age, you know, I, I, you mentioned Jack Kirby. And at an early age, I was 10 years old when I found my first Jack Kirby comic book. And I sat down 11 or 12 years old trying to be him, trying to draw like him. And he was also create, he was like the most creative power in comic books. And so in order to be like that, I had to start creating my own stories. And then so you get into this creative mindset from a young age. And that also helped fuel my the impulse that forced me from one job to the next because I grow very bored with staying in one place. And I have to be creating, I have to be making something new. I have to be creating something new. So from comic books to movies to gallery work, the Western stuff, I studied history. I have all these interests that I'm, I'm afraid I'm not going to let play out before I pass the earth. And so um, it's, uh, like I said, like I said the, the creative impulse is something that I've known all my life, and I didn't realize that other people, for a long time, I didn't realize there were a lot of people who were not as creative. And I actually heard a popular psychi- uh, psychologist recently on a YouTube thing that uh, he, he said that if you're a really creative person, if your whole life is built as a creative person, if somehow you are stymied from that, if you're kept from being creative it will cause you to become depressed. It will affect your psyche and you will actually, you'll, you'll feel like you're stagnating, uh, et cetera. And uh, so he's, you know, and he, and he's right. When anytime that I felt in a, in a bowl in a depression, it was because I wasn't pursuing another avenue of creativity. So. Beautifully put Jill or John. Yeah. Jill, go uh, ahead, please. I absolutely agree. When I sat down And first of all, growing up, I was very ADHD, and this is before they knew what it was. They just, you were hyper, or you had a problem sitting there paying attention. And it didn't dawn on me until I was very much into my adulthood with my own children struggling with the same things, is that I was looking for an outlet. And the outlet I was looking for was being creative. And in schools, 
uh, at least the schools I grew up, you didn't have that outlet. You were sit down, shut up, pay attention to me. I'm teaching you um, that, that sort of thing. And then I did have a handful of teachers that told me early on that I had a talent for writing, but Mm. as somebody who struggled with speech and, and undiagnosed ADHD, that I was just, oh, I'm too, that is above my, my capabilities. And as an adult with my children, seeing them going through the same things I did, I realized, and now at sitting down to write, it is an addiction because now instead of doing the things I want to do, like reading or immersing myself into an amazing story, my mind is also going, what can I write? And so it's that addiction of, I get more high off of writing my own stories than reading a story at this point. And obviously that's, I got a big problem back here, (laughs) but uh, my readers wouldn't say so, but you know what it is. It is an addiction. And I think that more creativity and seeing that early on in children should be a huge benefit to teachers that just say, oh, you're a creative. You shouldn't be shamed for being a creative. Yep. Thank you. Very very well put. A lot of good points. John, anything you want? Yeah, go ahead, please. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's absolutely true. Um, I think that, you know, we, 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 inevitably there's, you know, different people are creative at different things. And I think whether you're inventing something or painting or writing, uh, it's something that if you kind of keep it pent up, it's going to be sort of unhealthy for you. And I think ultimately, um, you know, especially with writing, it's something that's uh, even on your darkest day, it's a cathartic enough thing that even if you really aren't feeling it and you don't want to sit down and write, uh, it's still an uplifting experience. And that's makes it sort of unique in the range of human activities that I've experienced anyway. Very well put, all of you. Jerry, thank you for the springboard concept that everybody <laughs> jumped in on. Mr. De Niro, I'm sorry, Jerry Bingham. Yes, I've got that, you. That's, that's okay. Well, you know, when the, at least, you know, when um, Joel's talking about, you know, teachers and at least when I was a child, my mother was was a very smart woman. She was only a high school graduate, but she's one of the smartest women I've ever known. And she's she's the one who, she would see my interest in something, whether it's art or writing or reading books or music. And she she never preached anything to me. She would like steer me into a direction she thought I was interested in. And she's, you know, she saw that she, I would stay up late and watch Sherlock Holmes on TV. So one day she just laid her big volume, her collection of Sherlock Holmes stories on my bed. And I was like 14, maybe, or 15. And, uh, and so she, she would do this throughout my young life. And it, for a creative person, that's, that started the motor going and it's been running ever since. <laughs> Lovely. Lovely. I like to hear the the backstories, the mom stories and the dad stories about how creativity was either, I'll say, inherited or influenced by then or facilitated, as in, in your case, Jerry. I want to read a statement here from Jill. And uh, you already covered one I was going to use. So I'm going to statement number four, Jill. Listen to this. Jill says, by being creative in my writing, I've realized other areas I can be creative as well. Describing, listen to this, describing homes, clothing, places, and even crafts such as painting. My creative juices ache to create what my mind has come up with. Since publishing, I've taken up painting, 
home repair projects that rival my characters, and cooking, things I never really thought I would enjoy before. Jill, take uh, take about three minutes. We're, we're running, running on the clock here. I want to make sure we have time. Go ahead. So I am the sixth child out of seven. My twin and I are number six and seven. Big family. Um, we were raised in basically the bottom of Mount St. Helens in Washington State. And yes, we did watch it go. <laughs> um, so we had a huge farm. We had acres of land. We had a huge garden. We had lots to do as children. And usually when it came to kitchen time, it was get out of the kitchen. Mom's got to cook <laughs> for nine people. And so I never really learned how to cook. Now I have two of my sisters that are are amazing cooks. Like they, they can, they do everything. So cooking was not something in my radar. And my husband and children will tell you that that's the case. Now, writing some really good, juicy meals that my readers will salivate over was very difficult. And so I found a favorite website. And a couple years after that, I had this lady contact me from Wolfgang Puck there in California. She said, do you ever go to this site? And I'm like, oh, crap, can you be sued by just including not the whole recipe, but just including meals? And she says, I've devoured every book you've ever written. And I am the head chef for Wolfgang Puck. We are doing the Oscars this year. And all I can think of is, I love you. <laughs> help me I have this character she's in Hollywood she needs this gorgeous meal so she says here do these rest or do these meals and I I included her and her characters into it and I got four little I don't you probably can't see them back there my office is I'm changing things up but I have four little chocolate Oscars to, to say for it so it does inspire me to do new things. So after that whole deal, I decided, you know what? I need to I need to cook some of these meals. I need to try. I tried. I tried. <laughs> I tried. Are we gonna, a, we gonna challenge Yoda do or do not? There is no try, Jill. No, there is. Uh, but you know what? My husband enjoyed that. <laughs> Let's just say that he's a very nice person. Yes. Um, I, I, Go ahead. Uh, and then I'm going to move on. Go ahead. Finish. Uh, all I can say is we're hitting 30 years this year. So I think he's, uh, he's satisfied. He's, with that. Still, he's still enjoying what you're trying to cook. That's, yeah. I was just intrigued because think about it. I've read novels. I've had guests on the show who write novels that are deeply architectural, where they're describing buildings that a character is producing, building, decorating. Mm -hmm. And I say to myself, how do they know that? When I talk to them, well, they lived in that town or they were an architecture student or they read architecture, but they knew they knew the details so that it would be authentic to their readers. If you could see out these windows, you would see that we are currently under construction. There, we are building a building back here. Um, if you follow me on social media, as you'll see the whole. I do the speed up videos. We're building a huge, <laughs> a huge to me, two story building back there that's going to be a pool house, but it's also. My husband's a musician, so upstairs is going to be his recording studio, his his whole music shebang. So we're building that ourselves. And so, and I'm also currently just down my hall from my new office, this is my new office, building a little library with a hidden, yes, hidden door behind a bookcase into what will be my sitting reading room slash 
writing room. So lovely. We won't tell anybody that you've got a secret door, John oh. and Jerry. Don't tell a soul. <laughs> Just stays with the four of us. It's C.S. Lewis. She's got the wardrobe with the door in the back. Yeah. There yeah. you yeah. go. <laughs> I want to go to John Maley's statement number two. This is very interesting. You say another key to creativity is putting in the time to try and create. For example, this is John speaking. Some days I'll sit down for 60 minutes and try to write my way into something good rather than aiming for a specific word count. I force myself to sit down in front of a blank page while we stare awkwardly at each other. John, this is almost poetry you wrote here. This is lovely. Until at last, one of us starts the conversation. I have never heard it put so beautifully. John, go ahead. Talk to me. You and the page. Have a conversation. Thank you. Yes. I mean, I think it's... It's one of these things where, you know, we're sort of conditioned from everything from kind of writing events where we're trying to encourage each other and we, you know, meet back up and we say, how many words did you write this week? And so we tend to be very tied to objective metrics. And, you know, the thing about writing is that when things are going really well, yes, you sit down and you crank out all these words because you've got all these ideas and you just need to implement them. But I think there's other times, and this is where novel writing gets most difficult and really writing any kind of a story where we sort of lose our path and we're not quite sure where the story's going yet, or we decide to change it and we don't know what to change it to. And that I think is when it's easiest to give up and say, you know, I'm going to just take a month off. And then one month turns into two and turns into six. Um, and really what matters is how long you spent sitting down and getting through that awkward time where you really don't know where things are going. And that's every bit as important as actual word counts when things are going well. So that's kind of what that was getting at. I love that. I've been working on my novella, which is very unusual. My writing style is probably very few people would ever have tried it. It's just mine. And I'll, I might share a little bit with you after, but anyway, um, I keep going back and forth to it. And I discovered after a while that it's a, it's a almost murder thriller in a 55 plus community, if you can read between the lines. And it's hysterically satirical. And I will have a pen name because if anybody knew I wrote it, might not be doing radio much longer, <laughs> kids. So, and the, the opening disclaimer says, if this reminds you of yourself or anybody you know, have a stiff drink, get a lawyer, or just get over yourself. So, yes, uh, it's, yes, that's it. There, there, there are no fictitious characters. They're all based on real people, including me. But I realized that I forgot to finish the so-called murder scene. So what I did was I went back into about 35,000 words and I stripped out the sections that were that part, just that part without all the fun HOA stuff in it. And I, I'm up to almost 20,000 words just with that part. And then I have to add everything back. So it's going to be a lot of more the words that I planned. But I'm just now grappling with how I want to put the twist in where it's almost murder. And I probably won't put that in the title because that'll give it away. But it's, yeah, thank you, Jill. But it's, I'm having so much fun with it, with the characters and with where they're going. And a couple of years ago, I decided I want to write a romantic play. And I downloaded a, a format from the web on how do you, how do you format a play? You know, where's the opening scene and how do you describe the characters and what's the intro and how do you, how do you format it? The font and the spacing and all that. In three nights, I had a play that I produced on my TV show in New, on Long Island with community actors. And I had just a blast. But what I want to tell you was that the characters were talking to me. I didn't put words in. John, does this happen to you? They were just 
telling me what to say. I wrote from one to four in the morning for three nights and I had it produced it. It was a 29 minute, 30 second production. I did three plays like that. And the characters just talk to me. They just float. I didn't have to think, what are they saying? What do they do? I just knew. I knew where they started. I knew what they said. Mm -hmm. I knew the journey and I knew the ending. It was a it was beautiful experience. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's you know, my daughter Emily can sit down and just crank out a short story in record time and not not me. <laughs> well, my novel is taking a hell of a lot longer time. We have seven minutes left. I want to do some fun stuff. Don't go away. And uh, we will talk afterwards for a few minutes. So I have some famous birthdays. We've got some people we have to celebrate today. Okay, let me get here. Would you believe it's Tom Selleck's birthday today? Mm -hmm. We all know who he is, right? Anybody want to take a guess? We know he started out as Magnum P.I., and now he's the beloved Frank Reagan on Blue Bloods. And I don't know if you knew this, but he got into, he had a basketball scholarship to get into the University of Southern California, and he was studying business administration before he started as an actor. Anybody want to guess how old Tom Selleck is? He's probably about 80, right? He's 79. Good enough. We don't need any more guesses. And another icon, Oprah Winfrey, is was born today. She's a little bit younger. She's a lot younger, actually. Anyone take a guess? I'm going to guess 30 to maximize the chances that she lets me into her. <laughs> <laughs> Jill, what did you say? 70. Exactly. Exactly. She was the most influential woman in the world by Time Magazine. She hosted, of course, uh, the Oprah Winfrey show. She was Miss Black Tennessee in college. I didn't know that. She began co-anchoring evening news at the age of 19. She's the world's first black female billionaire and the richest self-made woman in America. She was worth only $2 billion in 2013. I don't know why they don't have that updated. I shudder to think. Uh, anybody ever heard of Charlie Wilson, R&B singer? Yes, Charlie Wilson. <laughs> Nominated for six Grammys, he was the lead singer in the Gap Band. Anyway, he's 71. Happy birthday, actress Heather Graham, 54 today. She was in P.T. Anderson's Boogie Nights. Sarah Gilbert, you all know her, Darlene Connor on Roseanne. Um, let's see. Do you know why she was motivated to be an actress? Anybody know the story? Probably because of her sister. That's right. Her brother and sister were in Little House on the Prairie. So she wanted to be So was she, I think, briefly. They, did, they didn't Maybe. say that. As a side it, character. I think she was. Adam Lambert, very interesting character. Mm -hmm. He's a, He won. Uh, he was the runner-up on season eight of American Idol, singer, and his album, your, For Your Entertainment, was a top 10 album on the worldwide charts in 2009. I think he wears a lot of makeup. Happy birthday. Now, here are the, the, the ones social media you've never heard of. We have somebody named J.T. Casey, C-A-S-E-Y. All I know is that he's a content creator, but on YouTube, are you sitting down, John? John, you sitting down? Okay, yes. good. On YouTube, he only has 15 million plus followers. Hmm. And on TikTok, he only has 4.4 million followers. Got to okay? work on that. So, I know. So happy birthday to JT Casey. Then we have somebody named Andrew Flair, F-L-A-I-R, who's, oh, Casey was 21. Andrew Flair is 27. On YouTube, he only has 2.75 million followers. And guess what he does? He's a fisherman. He's a bass yeah. fisherman. He runs a channel called Flair, in all caps, F-L-A-I-R, formerly Andrew Flair Outdoors. He teaches bass fishing tips and techniques. 2.75 million followers. I guess people want to catch fish. And then we have one more called Inaber, I-N-A-B-B-E-R. It's a woman. She's 27. Oh, I'm sorry. It's a man. He's 27. I couldn't tell. Only 1.1 uh, million subscribers. However, his videos have had 155 million total views. 
Can you imagine counting that high, Jill, for, for <laughs> any kind of followers? Not, not you personally. British YouTube star who comments on pop culture and streams video games such as Lego Star Wars. 155 million views. I can't even think about it. Let's do some quick uh, music here. Let's see, in entertainment. Okay, um, uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary, on this day in 1962, signed with Warner Brothers Records. In 1964, on this day, the Beatles recorded the German versions of She Loves You, Sie liebt dich, and I Want to Hold Your Hand, Komm, gib mir dein Hand. On this day in 1969, I did my best. On this day in 1969, Peggy Lee recorded, Is That All There Is? Forgive me. On this day, the same day in 69, um, Glenn Campbell debuted the Glenn Campbell Good Time Hour. There you go. Lasted three seasons. On this day in 77, Rose Royce's At the Car Wash hit number one in the U.S. On this day in 1985, the world We Are the World soloist Bruce Springsteen, Diana Ross, and Bob Dylan walked out of an overnight recording session into the morning air with producer Quincy Jones. On this day in 1991, the American Music Awards Gloria Estefan performed live for the first time since the bus tour accident that left her with a bad back. There you go. And she wrote Coming Out of the Dark, Inspired by Recovery. On this day in 1997, Paul Simon had a musical, The Cape Man, on Broadway. It lasted only 68 performances. I don't know why. And today is national holiday, Bubble Wrap Appreciation Day. Are you appreciating bubble wrap, Jill? Yes. I think so. It's Curmudgeon's Day, Freethinker's Day, Day. it's National Carnation Day, I mentioned Carnation Malted Milk, it's Corn Chip Day, and it's Puzzle Day. January is the Apricot and Apple Month, the Artichoke and Asparagus Month, Bread Making Machine Month, it's the International Brain Teaser Month, National Mail Order Gardening Month, National Thank You Month, Train Your Dog Month, Wheat Bread Month, Prune Breakfast, skip that, Self Love Month, and Walk Your Dog Month. And that's all I have to say. We have about a minute to close. Don't go away to my guests. I want to thank everybody. Give a round of applause for Denise Dorman for approaching me. Yes, thank you, Denise, at the National Publicity Summit. Denise, you can be proud of your three wonderful clients here. They all did great. Jerry Bingham, such a pleasure to meet you. Jill Sanders and John W. We didn't find out what the W meant. Don't tell me. And by the way, in 2014, I was using top 10 tips for women on the closing of my show, Jill. And the first one was aspire to be Barbie. The biatch has everything. 2014. So here we go with the closing. And I've got one minute left. So listen up. Life is short break the rules. Forgive quickly. Well, kiss slowly. Definitely. Love truly and laugh uncontrollably. Join me in a three-second laugh. John, Jill, and Jerry. One, two, three. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry, you can do better than that. You can it's do curmudgeon that. day. Laugh uncontrollably and never regret anything that made you smile. Here's my final, here are my final words. Work like you don't need the money. Dance like no one's watching. Sing like nobody's listening. La! And love like you've never been hurt. We all have. Haven't we, Jill? Get over it and write another book. <laughs> money talks. Chocolate sings. La, la, la. And last but not least, I stole this line from somebody years ago. Thank you for turning me on. Radio Red signing off. Everybody wave. Don't go away. Jordan, are we good? Thanks again for tuning in to Read My Lips Radio presented by the Voice America Variety Channel. Tweet your questions and comments to at Radio Red 777. Join host aka Radio Red again next Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We wish you a positively cool creative week. <laughs>